You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. <laughs> Damn it, for three. Somebody tell him he's a rookie. And welcome into the show, everybody. Jesse Cass here with you for a brand new episode of the Believe in Clippers podcast here on the Believe Podcast Network and our second week of crossover episodes with this podcast and the Believe in LMU Basketball podcast, which also is available on this Believe Podcast Network. A week ago, we had Dan Dickow, former Gonzaga All-American and, of course, LA Clipper. And this week, we have Alex Acker, who spent time with the Clippers and also... Played at Pepperdine, a rival of LMU, so really fun conversation coming up with him, talking about his collegiate career, being the last pick in the draft by the Detroit Pistons, and then of course his time with the Clippers overseas and everything that comes with that. So really fun conversation coming up with Alex Acker in just a few minutes, but before we get there, I want to let you know as always, if you enjoy the show, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple, and we're available wherever else podcasts can be found, and on top of that, we've been in this waiting pattern, the holding game since society and basketball and everything at large has been shut down due to the coronavirus pandemic and it seems like finally for the first time on the side of basketball we have really true optimism that the NBA season is going to return it seems like we're finally turning in that direction we're starting to see a semblance of a plan or at least discussions of what a plan would look like coming out where Adam Silver and the players union really trying to hammer out the details and see what the end of the season is going to look like. And uh, we, as you said, we still don't have all of those details, but we do know that, of course, the playoffs are going to take place. It looks like Adam Silver is pretty dead set on having it be the normal format in terms of seven-game series. Maybe, possibly, the first round could be best out of five. But besides that, it looks like we're going to have best out of seven, like normal, in Disney World in Orlando. That's all being kind of finalized and... We'll see what exactly that means for the rest of the league. We know that, of course, the playoff teams are going to be taken into this bubble and play. We're starting to hear maybe there'll be a play, play-in tournament for the teams that are within striking distance, like the Blazers and the Pelicans, uh, who you know otherwise re- really wouldn't have a lot of incentive to play. So we don't know if all 30 teams will be invited, if they'll finish out regular season games. But we do know if this does happen, there will be some kind of training camp or mini camp for players to get ready, maybe a couple scrimmages or exhibition games, regular season games, and then we'll go into the playoffs. And obviously the Clippers are the two seed right now. If the playoffs were just to start with the rankings as they are, they would take on the Dallas Mavericks. But as we mentioned, we don't really know what that play-in into the playoffs would look like. Would it include just the eight seed versus some of the bottom seeds right on their heels? Or would the seven seed Mavericks be included in that? And 
that would obviously affect the Clippers and their matchup. So still so much to be kind of unturned and, and figured out in this process, but the sense of optimism is as high as it's been. And I think that it's really encouraging. Still going to be an uphill battle in terms of getting all the testing, making sure that everyone's safe. And, you know, if a player were to catch the coronavirus and COVID-19, uh, it you know, they've said that play would continue, but that obviously is another wrinkle in all this, and that could drastically swing or affect the results of the playoffs. So uh, we can only hope that all the safety precautions are taken and that we can get some NBA basketball. It looks like late July, early August is when the games would actually start with kind of September, mid-September being the, the destination point of the end of the NBA Finals, which would put the league on track for a late September draft, early October free agency, and then starting the following season right around Christmas time. So, uh, you know, that's been a, a subject of maybe the NBA should do that anyway. This is an opportunity where it's been, their hand has been forced. So we'll see what happens. But uh, it seems like all systems are go. We'll obviously keep you updated as developments unfold. But NBA basketball could be returning in July, and we're all for that. And we talk about that and much more on our conversation with Alex Acker. So we'll wait no further. Alex Acker here on the Believe in Clippers and Believe in LMU crossover podcast edition. Here you go. All right, now joined by our guest here, former Pepperdine basketball player as well as longtime professional Alex Acker. Alex, thanks so much for taking the time to come on the show. I appreciate it, Jesse. Thank you for having me. Um, looking forward to this uh, podcast for a long time, man. Yeah, no, this is uh, exciting. It's kind of a, a dual podcast with the Clippers and, and LMU, and you obviously, as we mentioned, have experience playing as a rival to LMU with Pepperdine and then also a time with the Clippers, and we mentioned your long international career as well. You're joining us right now from all the way from Italy, uh, kind of just like us out here, kind of locked down. Uh, what has your experience been like just with this lockdown and kind of not being able to, to play and not being able to, to move around like you thought you would? Man, you just hit it on the on the on the head right there. Um, everything just stopped. Uh, momentum just stopped. Uh, pretty much just locked down, um, like everybody else. But for the most part, we here with the family and stuff, and just enjoying the time together with the family as much as possible, and uh, taking precautions serious um, for everybody's sake. From that point. Yeah, and what was that like from your perspective, just in terms of the season that you were going through as a player? Uh, how did that all go about, and, and what was that process like for you guys? And just like you said, kind of getting shut down and just being stuck in this holding pattern. No, most definitely. I was, um, I was actually, um, I've been retired, but I was actually training um, a team out here uh, that I played with. And um, push come to shove, they was like nobody's allowed in the gym, which is a bummer, you know, because. That's all I know how to do is just play basketball. So now everything stopped. You can't go outside to play basketball. <laughs> it was it was a it was a mess. And the worst thing about it is I left all my equipment in the gym, so I didn't uh-huh. even have a basketball a basketball to dribble. You know, so I was really stuck and uh, bummed out. By yeah, now if it makes you feel any better, they got all the uh, the hoops out here, either the rims torn off or boards stuck oh, through God. them. So uh, yeah, it's it's pretty much the same scenario out here in California as well. Okay, okay. I did not know that. <laughs> uh, but, of course, you mentioned your connection to, to California growing up here and playing for Pepperdine. Uh, going back to that, what was your the process like to make the decision to play there, and, and what do you remember from your time uh, with Pepperdine? 
Oh man, it was a, it was a it was a shocking. I, I should say it was it was a blessing to be you know um, a Pepperdine wave. Um, I was never recruited by Pepperdine. Um, to be honest with you, I was actually out there uh, with my AAU team. Um, the coach at the time he asked to actually asked me to come out there, and they had pickup games. Uh, Paul Westfall's the head coach, um, so I said for sure. So you know, all the way from where I lived and the Inland Empire, I did not know where Pepperdine was at. I thought it was pretty much an island. You know what I mean? It sounded yeah. beautiful. So I was slick. I was sleep the whole time, that whole hour and a half getting there. And when I woke up, I saw the most beautiful campus ever. It was unbelievable, you know. And um, we had got in there, got warmed up, played a couple of games, had practice. It was actually a camp that Paul Westfall was having. And uh, shockingly enough, he didn't um, – tell nobody that he had one more scholarship so i was just playing my butt off i was having fun and uh, after the camp he called me over and he wanted to see if i had heart so he said um i want to see if you you know let me see you do a 17 if anybody doesn't know what a 17 is it's a running suicide so i got on the line and i i didn't know him i didn't you know i just respected the game and i knew that who he was it was huger uh, for me to do this so he told me I didn't have to run. He was like, man, we're going to offer you a scholarship. I came back that day with a scholarship in my hand. It was wow. awesome. Yeah. So no, that was, it was a blessing. That's an incredible story. And, and you mentioned Paul Westfall was the coach and your coach in your time at Pepperdine. He obviously has, you know, professional coaching history in the NBA. What was that like developing that relationship with him and, and having him as your coach during your college career? Uh, pretty much. It was really, it was really a respect level where he treated us like professionals. It wasn't college players. He held us accountable, uh, making sure that we were on time. And, um, of course, like any other team, you got punishments and stuff like that, but more or less, it was just a respect level of where he's been and where I'm trying to go, you know? So I was, a, I was a sponge. I was soaking up so much knowledge. I was, you know, a, a fly on the wall, really just observing of how he wanted structure it wasn't a tic-tac-toe x and x and o box type of platform it was like he treated us like go and play basketball you know and if you need me i'm here i'll call plays to get you going the momentum but for the most part go and play basketball and i think that's why we were really successful during that time yeah you guys had some really successful seasons and you're in your three seasons there uh you know, Pepperdine since then has been up and down and starting to trend back in the upward direction. And we know that the West Coast Conference has been a good conference and has really developed into a really strong one recently. Uh, you, you of course, you know, were playing against a good Gonzaga team at that point. Did you guys know and envision what they would become over these next 20 or so years, kind of building into one of the premier powers in the country? And what was it like going against them in your time there? <clears throat> to be honest, um, Gonzaga was really built with all structure as far as sleepers, the guys that you didn't know who the heck they were, but they were really a collective group. And they they brought into the system of which the coach had. And, um, you know, they were a force to work with, you know, from the offense standpoint, they knew every single thing as far as the um, players' detail, who they were going up against. They knew if you can go left or right. It was crazy. On defense, they were they were really in line with the, the program for sure. So it was hard to beat them. They were really dominant. Um, they had some key players that were really um, knew their knew their role and potential. Um, 
they had uh, I can't even name the guys. They had uh, uh, Mike Batista, um, who were really who's really good, who's crazy. I got a chance to play with him out here in France. And he gave me some tips, and he was like, "Man, we really were solid, you know, as far as a, a collective team. We knew what we were um, capable of doing, and uh, for the most part, I think that they brought into the system. And um, a lot of teams didn't understand that they were really strong, especially in the fourth quarter, uh, really strong. And and of course, Pepperdine and the West Coast Conference synonymous with going against LMU. Obviously, two schools that are very close, that are potential rivals." Now, LMU has done fairly well at home, but the Pepperdine streak in Malibu is, is insane, and you're obviously a part of that. 21 of the last 22 games in Malibu have been won by Pepperdine. Uh, can you explain that? Obviously, you played in that building. It's a small gym, but the, the kind of mystique that Pepperdine has over LMU in that building right now. Yeah, um, Pepperdine is definitely... Um held uh lmu accountable for um, a lot of things um i think that uh it's been a big rival from a long time either way back to when we i was just came on the campus they told me how serious it was you know playing against lmu we can lose to any other team except lmu you know i remember that <laughs> they burnt that into my brain um so it was a rival um the fans were involved um the coaches was involved you know so um it was like actually being out here in Europe in a way where like you're playing against your rival. It was something to be seen. And like, it, it was, I really enjoyed playing against LMU for the most part, just winning just to have that rubbed in their face. I apologize. <laughs> 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 but, um, nonetheless though, we, we always came ready to play for those games for sure. against LMU. Yeah. To your point, you were, you were five and one in those six games against LMU. So you obviously had their, their number yeah. there. Uh, we know that both, yeah. both LMU and Pepperdine recently are going through some transition in terms of just their personnel and their coaches. Pepperdine brought back Lorenzo Romar a couple years back, and LMU, of course, just made the coaching change just about a month ago to bring in Stan Johnson. Uh, what do you think about these two programs and what they can do to kind of get themselves back near the top half of the conference with, as we, as we mentioned before, a really kind of stacked and good West Coast Conference? Well, I think you hit it on the head where, where LMU and Pepperdine brought back familiar faces, you know, that the, the, the fans and the sponsors and everybody else around can relate to them. So it's kind of like no stress on a coach's standpoint to, you know, prove themselves because they're proven winners, those two gentlemen. And um, for the most part, I think that if you have that already, you're not trying to you know, keep your shirt on and try to, like, secure your job. You already know that your job is good. So you don't have to stress that so much. And I think the biggest part is they have a name where they can recruit. And in this game in college, you have to be able to recruit your butt off. And um, Pepperdine is now, they're, they're, getting some, they're getting some horses that can play now, you know, and, and it's showing. So these guys that they're getting, I've seen just now, they got a, a couple of guys from all over. Um, these guys that they're getting now, they wouldn't be able to get these guys a long time ago because Pepperdine, I don't care how beautiful it is, the campus-wise, they're not playing against nobody, which is the third thing that they have to play against people that are respected as well, you know, and that's what Gonzaga did. They played against guys and they got their lumps, but they actually built a a team, a camaraderie over that by playing against top-tier teams and um, outside their conference. 
Yeah, and I think we've seen that a little bit more recently. Like you said, Pepperdine this past year played against Arizona and USC and LMU the year prior, played against Georgetown and UNLV. So getting the exposure against the bigger, more notable programs is obviously a good way to go. Yes, definitely, for sure, for sure. Uh, Kids look forward to that. They look forward to playing against these big teams that they never want to see um, in the East Coast and stuff like that, like Baylor or something like that. So it's fun to, like, see, put yourself against that. And I think for now, for the most part, a lot of guys in the West Coast, they're actually looking forward to coming to playing against, uh, playing with USC, UCLA, and having that as an option now. Because most of the time, our kids in the in the West Coast, they would go somewhere else to the East Coast, you know what I mean, and make yeah. those decisions out there. So now they're actually coming home, and now we're getting really good teams, I mean, good players now in the West Coast. Yeah, and as we said, that's been reflected in the league, no question. Uh, Alex, moving forward to your pro career, uh, you were drafted with the, the last pick in the, in the 2005 NBA draft by the Detroit Pistons. What was that night like for you? Obviously, kind of, I'm yeah. sure, kind of a roller coaster, but still getting your name called and being drafted in 2005. Oh, that gives me goosebumps still to this day because that was a that was a that was a game changer for me and my family and you know um, just the well being you know all yeah. around. Um, I think um, it was, it was something that. I can't even think of how how big of a magnitude it was for me to actually hear my name get called. You know, um, I was I was actually working out with a lot of teams, and they were really shocked of the potential that I had, and they seen it. But being the fact that I came from Pepperdine and I didn't have a big name, for sure they would they would lie and say, "Yeah, we we like you. You played against you know Nate Robinson. You played against all these players, and you held your own." And, but reality of the story is we can't pick you because you don't, you know what I mean? Our fans are going to boo us. You know what I mean? <laughs> they don't know who the hell Alex Acker is. Yeah. So um, the moral of the story, though, is that Pepperdine um, did a great job as far as helping me out, um, preparing for the NBA. Um, I had a good agent at the time to help me out. Um, and it was just all a collective thing. I had my my, my church family there um, that night. I had my uh, family, immediate family there. Amir Johnson got his name called by Detroit because they promised me again they were going to pick me. And I was really upset because I was like, I'm not going to get picked. And yeah. at that time, it was like the NBA or nothing. Yeah. So uh, uh, Joe Dumars called me after that 56 pick and said, we got you. And I was like, what do you mean you have no more picks? <laughs> I did not know at the time they had a 60th pick. <laughs> so we're talking. And um, he said, no, we got you. Like, um, we picked you. And I was like, what? And when I heard him say that, the commissioner now, Sterling, he said, uh, Alex Acker, the last player pick, um, 60th pick, everybody go home pretty much. Like, it's over. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like, whatever. So uh, I was excited. I was my family was happy. I was crying. It was an amazing feeling for sure. And it was a special moment just to be picked as the 60th, 60th pick, the last player picked in the draft, you know? Yeah, that's incredible. While you're waiting this out at home, you can still have some fun betting with our partner, betonline.ag. No NBA, NHL, or MLB, but don't worry. BetOnline still has hundreds of games, events, and sports to wager on. NASCAR is back. Madden and NBA 2K simulations with a $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge, UFC Online Casino with Poker and Blackjack. And coming up next Sunday, Bet Online has ex Chicago Bulls Horace Grant. 
Bill Cartwright, Craig Hodges, and Ron Harper joining to discuss the Michael Jordan doc on what they are calling the final dance. They're still fun to be had, so go to betonline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100 to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's betonline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100. BetOnline, your online wagering solution. Yeah, and you, and you obviously, we mentioned, went to Detroit. Uh, Joe Dumars, the GM at the time, and going into a situation when, during that period of time, Detroit was coming off a couple of championship runs, you know, obviously winning in 04 and then getting back there the year, the year later and still having that championship core together with Chauncey Billups and Rip Hamilton and Rasheed Wallace and everyone. What was it like to just come into that environment with, you know, a group of hardened veterans and winners uh, in a real NBA locker room? Um, I went back to school. I really locked in and just listened. I didn't, I didn't, I just had so many questions, but I was a sponge at that point. I knew my role was not to be, um, boastful as far as trying to get on the court. I knew I had to take my lumps. I knew I was going to go to the G league. I was blessed to be in that situation to actually learn how to win with a program like this, um, with these caliber of guys, we had literally five all-stars that year. You know, um, which is crazy. Um, so from that standpoint, I was excited to be on that team, uh, to learn the, how to play the game the right way, how to use pick and roll, detailed things, how to coach these guys at this highest level. You know what I mean? It, it require, requires a lot of um, obedience from the coaching staff as well. So I got an earful for every single thing. And I <laughs> sat back and I observed, I, I, I listened. And um, when it was my time to play, I was ready to play. If it was one or two minutes, you know, and I, I tried to do my best for sure. But that first year was a learning experience. Yeah, what's that like as a as a player, especially of your caliber when you're coming from Pepperdine? You're pretty much the guy or one of the top guys where, as you mentioned, you're getting a lot of the shots, you're scoring almost 17 <laughs> points a game, and then kind of just having to mentally adjust to, obviously, a new situation and, and that type of competition. No, it was, it was a humbling experience. It was just showing you that no matter what, basketball will always put you in your shoes. You know, if you score 20, 30 points one game, you got to prove yourself all over again. So yeah. um, to see these guys actually perform at a high level over and over 82 games uh, was incredible. And, um, you know, they always say you hit a rookie wall. I, I literally hit a rookie wall in practice. You know what <laughs> I mean? Just playing just plan against these guys in practice, you know? <laughs> so, it was a, it was, it was really like, wow, like I'm really in this. I really have a jersey. I'm honored. I'm a, I'm a elite player, a one percenter. You know, every single day, I was really happy to come and sit down and watch. You know, as 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 weird as that sound, I was able to sit down and watch these guys play. Um, it didn't matter if I was scoring. It didn't matter. I was, I was really like locked in. And even about the our bench was crazy too. We had. You know, Aaron, I mean, uh, at that time, Carlos Arroyo, Carlos Delfino, um, some unbelievable guys. There yeah. Studs in Europe as well, too. So I got a chance to learn the European, you know, style of basketball as well. So it was it worked hand-in-hand, better for my favor, for sure. Yeah, and obviously, as you mentioned, worked in your favor for a, a long career overseas. Uh, you know, you went overseas, then you are able to come back to the NBA uh, and play with the Clippers, of course, Uh what was the time like with the Clippers? I know that was, you know, 18 games, your kind of best or biggest opportunity to play in the league uh, where you got about 10 minutes a game. What was that experience like for you to, to get some more time on the court with the Clippers? 
Oh man, it was fun. I was a time ball, ready, ready to tick for sure. Because I came, I came from Europe, and you know, um, coming from Europe is very hard to play basketball out here. Um, not even so much just playing basketball, just mental um, approach of how to be a professional and be, you know, accountable off the court as well. So I was really molded into. Um, being a professional off the court and playing basketball, I was ready to come back to, to the NBA and play basketball. I didn't care who was in front of me. I felt like I was an NBA player at that point after those two years playing overseas, you know? Yeah. So um, I think um, it worked in my favor where I was able to play in front of my home crowd, in front of my family, so they can actually see me play. Um, Nothing but respect to the Detroit Pistons and Joe Dumars for doing that because he could have sent me anywhere to Toronto or anything like that. You know what I mean? So he really looked out for me from that standpoint. Um, I was excited to get on that court with the Clippers, even though it was a building progress process for us at that time. Um, we had a, a lot of rookies. Um, it was good to be wanted on the team where, like, I, I need to play, though, you know? Yeah. I know when I'm going to get in the game and play and stuff like that. It was a more of a rush to that point then. I, and I felt that I was ready at that time to play. Yeah, and of course we know that so much has changed with the Clippers as a franchise since that time. You know, obviously, yes. of course, the whole Donald Sterling saga and just the improvements with Steve, oh Steve Ballmer and, and just a new era of Clippers basketball. But what stories do you have from, from that era? We know we've heard... You know, Clippers didn't ha didn't have their own practice facility. They didn't have a lot of the amenities. <laughs> what do you remember from that? Yeah, no, no. I had, uh, Donald Sterling. He was he was a he was a animated person, and he was really opinionated. Um, he came in after we lost to um, Portland Trailblazers um, when Brandon Roy was on that team at the time. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, he cooked us. <laughs> this guy, he was unbelievable. You know what I mean? And he looked like he was in slow motion, but he was he was efficient. Um, and I remember we were bummed out by that game because we had him and we lost, and he had like thirty some points. Sterling comes in the door, he chews every single person out. You know what I mean? Like one after the other. And he got to me, and he was like. I don't even know your name, and I don't know why you're even shooting the ball. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh man. <laughs> like, what? Uh, well, at least at least you know Sterling's out of the league now, so <laughs> if you get any justice for that, there it is. <laughs> no, I appreciate that for sure. But that was, that was my first introduction to Donna Sterling. Um, but every day was just like, I was dealing with, with rookies, and I was dealing with veterans from... Um, Ricky, uh, I can't even, it was just fun just to be around these guys, you know what I mean, and be back home where I was comfortable and knew everything that was going on. So every day was a story for sure. Uh, Brandon, uh, I said Brandon, I mean, um, what's my name, Eric Gordon. Yeah. He, he was a, a, a crazy phenomenal player, and he was a machine at that time as a rookie. So it was good to go against him um, every day in practice and uh, compete with him. Um it was it was really fun, you know. We had a, we had a great time practicing and joking and laughing, but it was a building progress. So it wasn't all jokes. We were losing a lot of games, so it wasn't fun at sometimes. Um, but uh, I think that we uh, managed to you know hold it down for for what we had. Yeah, and what has it been like to see what the team and the franchise has become 
since then. Obviously, we mentioned Steve Ballmer taking over, and of course, the big influx of talent with bringing in Kawhi and Paul George now and being a championship contender to see kind of where the Clippers were back then and what they've become now. Oh, man, you, you see, they, they, they didn't care about a price tag. They really wanted to take over L.A., and it didn't matter what price it was. And they brought in some horses, you know, and they knew exactly the pieces that they needed. Um, I think they did an unbelievable job, and they took their time with it. They knew their time was coming. Even though L.A. is definitely trying to compete, and they're bringing in some studs for sure, LeBron James and everything, but um, I think it's the Clippers' time right now, to be honest with you. Um, if if this epidemic didn't happen, it would have been a showdown for sure against the best of L.A. going to the finals, which yeah. I truly believe. Yeah, I think everyone is kind of looking forward to and expecting that. And What do you think of the possibility of, you know, we've heard talks of the NBA trying to finish the season out in a type of a bubble with, you know, Disney World being thrown around and having all the teams in one spot. Do you think that's possible? And do you think that would be, you know, satisfying for the fans to see the season end in that kind of way? Well, of course, it would be satisfying for the fans because everybody's at home with nothing to do, with no sports at all. Yeah. <laughs> so they would love that. You know, it would be, uh, for, from a player standpoint, it would be brutal. Um, these guys haven't went up and down the court in a long time. It would be really bad on a trainer standpoint because these guys are susceptible of getting injured more than anything. You know, you're talking yeah. about guys yeah. who down that motor for this long and try to restart that engine is going to be really bad, you know? Um, so they got to take that into consideration and really be smart. I know it's a, it's a business, but your product is players. So whatever you guys, whatever they do do, um, they have to be really smart. I even believe they should go into having a pre-draft, I mean, a, not a pre-draft, a, a pre-camp, you know, if they do want to start over to get these guys' motors going again and seeing who's actually in shape. Everybody is not working out. I don't care what you're saying. (laughs) Everybody is not working out the way they should be working out at that level to compete right now, you know? Um, So it'll be, it'll be ugly, fun. And at the most, at the most part, it'll be something to see for sure to see who's really been in shape and really been, you know, in control of their, their, um, their game. Yeah. And and like you said, I think, the players are very cognizant of that, and they've been talking about and kind of the the talks that they would want, like you said, kind of a training camp for at least three weeks or a month to try to get back into real basketball shape. Because we know even if you're in shape, it's a whole different world to be in NBA basketball shape than just regular in shape. Oh man, for sure. Because you you're thinking about NBA, just <clears throat> you got cuts, you got jumping, you got spreading, you got. It's a lot, so you got to be cautious of that for sure. And you got guys like Derrick Rose who, you know what I mean, who's prone to getting injured, not to mention his name, and I apologize by that, but it's a lot, you know, to go in. And these guys are money makers. The fans want to see them play at a high level, but you can't put them in that spotlight right now if everybody's on lockdown and shutdown, you know, so... I even look at it even as far as the referees. You know what I mean? They got to be in shape. (laughs) Absolutely, yeah. (laughs) So it's it's crazy to think think of it and actually starting over again. But who knows? You know, the NBA is endless possibilities for sure. They'll figure something out that is catered to the fans and the media and everything like that and the players as well. 
Yeah, and, and Alex, before before I let you go, uh, obviously you mentioned you're still out there in Italy. Luckily, you said you have your family out there with you. Uh, you know, what's your kind of process going forward and kind of waiting out this the virus and seeing when you can get back to some sense of nor- normalcy? What 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 do you have going forward in the future for yourself? For myself, uh, I actually started a podcast as well, uh, which is which is awesome, um, just to get the word out that I'm alive and I'm getting rekindled <laughs> my relationship back with everybody um, that I play with in the NBA and overseas and stuff like that. Um, Act right, I mean, Premier's team um, of great players out in L.A. that I trained with my partner, Philip Scott, um, called Act right Premier, Premier Sports in the city of Downey. And uh, I was really hype to get back out there and do that right now i should have been out there but you know been the fact that this situation happened we can't be um on the court so um those two things are really big right there that i have going on yeah no question about it we'll we'll look forward to to your podcast and make sure to spread that out everywhere and hopefully as we said get back to being able to to get on the court and and enjoy life uh again when we can you know as you said continue to stay safe and get through this for sure. I appreciate it, Jesse. Thanks for having me, guys. I uh, appreciate um, the shout-out and, and the love and support. Sure. So a big thanks again to Alex Acker. If you want to know more about him and what he's got going on, check out his YouTube channel, his Twitter account, Ackright, A-C-K-R-I-G-H-T. Uh, he's doing a lot of great stuff, so be sure to check that out. And a big thanks to him once again. And thanks to everyone out there for listening. If you enjoy the show, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple. We're also available wherever else podcasts can be found, any directory that you need. And, of course, check out Believe.com for this show, the Believe in Only Basketball podcast, and hundreds of other shows on the platform. So with all of that said, that is going to do it for this week's edition. Again, a big thanks to Alex Acker. Thanks to you. And we might have NBA basketball coming back in the near future, so... We're thankful for that as well. Everyone stay safe out there, stay smart, and we'll talk to you next time on the Believe in Clippers podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, LA's number one sports podcast network and the only place with a show for every team in LA and more. We believe in our LA teams. Do you believe? Go Clips. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.